I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast with me, Josh Coyne, and I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by DC International Ambassador Mike Miller. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And after a highly productive debut episode, he's found a way to crack his way into the rotation. It's Timmy Awotesu. Hi, Josh. I'm just here to repeat. That's all it is. (laughs) Today we have an episode more exciting and full of juicy content than Tom Thibodeau's email inbox. (laughs) Our our focus on this episode is the Pacific Division uh, of the NBA, a group of teams that now contains one of the greatest teams and one of the greatest players in basketball history. The Pacific boasts uh, two teams from the City of Angels, the uh, the Sacramento Kings, and a team not shy of headlines in the Phoenix Suns. As per the structure of the previous division uh, preview podcast, we're going to take a look at each team's and discuss what's good and what's bad about the team. And then it's floor and it's ceiling. Um, For those who don't know the American sports lingo, that kind of basically means the best and worst case scenario. Before going into it, though, uh, Mike, what do you think of the division itself and how it measures up to the others in the NBA? It's quite top heavy, isn't it? Very top heavy. I don't think it could get top heavier if that's an expression. Um, although the Lakers are making a well, well, we'll get into it. But they've made an incredible stride this summer. We don't need to say like developing or strides. It's just they made one huge stride, one giant leap for LA basketball. And Timmy, do you think the same? Yeah, definitely. I do think. I mean, I'm one who thinks that there will be some excitement with this division. But yeah, there's a big disparity for sure. Um, you know, it really is. You know, the Lakers have made a big jump, but I still think that it is the Warriors and everyone else, as it has been for the past, you know, as it was last year as well. Warriors versus the world. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll get into much of that excitement, um, and that's personally made me excited. (laughs) Well, it (laughs) seems as though the logical place to start would be last year's NBA champions, uh, the Golden State Warriors. As previously mentioned, they're probably one of the greatest teams ever. They've been immense over recent years, and... Well, they've won three of the last four championships, so you know, and they've continued to add talent, uh, elite talent at that. They won, uh, they they won fifty eight games last year in the Western Conference, eventually beating LeBron in the NBA Finals. They finished top of the league in points per game, three point percentage, field goal percentage, blocks, assists, and you know. It could go on. In the off season, <laughs> they picked at number twenty eight, and they found a way to add the most talented big man in the league—a uh, complete bargain. Timmy, obviously, Demarcus is a, a low risk, high reward deal, but have they gotten better as a team? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think what's important isn't just the fact that you know, obviously, they bring Cousins into this team, and he's going to take some time to get into the fray with his Achilles injury. But I've seen some of the videos of him working out, and I think he looks really good. And he's going to be ready sooner rather than later in terms of sometime around the new year, I think you'll be able to see him. But more importantly for this team, I think they've gotten younger in the backcourt in terms of bringing in, they drafted uh, Jacob Evans Jacob Evans, and now they've brought in Tyler Eulis on that, I think it was an Exhibit 10 uh, contract. So I think that that will really help sort of, you know, Steph Curry's had some 
he's obviously someone that gets uh, riddled with injuries from time to time and the team getting younger can only help them in the long run in terms of keeping themselves healthy and ready for the postseason for when they really need to get started. So the young guys that you mentioned, Timmy, do you think that they can have a similar effect to some of the young guys have in the uh, postseason under the influence of Kerr in recent years? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we see what um, Quinn Cook, has, has, has he, how he's reveled uh, under Steve Kerr and Patrick McCaw has been a real solid piece for them. I think it's important for this team to stay young off the bench to provide energy and that spark plug that can help the the guys get through the the regular season. You know they have they had some injuries last season through with Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Steph all suffering through knocks. Cousins is obviously needs time to get nursed back from his injury, and um, they don't want to go full throttle in the regular in the regular season. So it's important for them to stay young and stay fresh, uh, so that they can sort of focus on what's important come April. And from a preview point of view, looking into the what's good about the team, I mean, the format is telling us to talk about what's good about the team, but where do we start, Mike? What's good about this team? <laughs> yeah. I think you've, you've listed most of it. The key for me was returning those core four, though. Curry, Thompson, Kevin Durant and uh, Draymond Green. They're obviously the, the heart of this Um it wasn't that hard. They're all under contract. I think this summer's going to be well. Next summer's going to be slightly more difficult. Adding Demarcus Cousins is an absolute steal at five point three on the mid-level exception. I was fortunate enough to uh, fortunate enough to see him working out in person when I was in New York, and he wasn't a grueling workout, but he looked more than comfortable in what he was doing. And it was the day after he'd uh, dunked off his left leg for the first time, so it was sort of a milestone in his recovery. Um, but I think even if he comes back, because it's obviously a Achilles injury, uh, a huge issue for big guys. It's effectively ended a lot of guys' careers. I've had, I did the, I've done the preview for our guide, and so I've had a dig into that. And there's not really a lot of success stories that come back from that injury. But even if he's like half life, Demarcus Cousins, he's still a massive upgrade on Javale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, uh, and to an extent David West, who retired. You know, they're, they're the guys that they've they've effectively lost this summer, and he is a, a step forwards. In that regard, and I think his absence at the start of the season is actually a massive chance for Jordan Bell to to build upon the potential he showed last year and really show that he is a versatile utility player in this league. And how, how do you how do you see the Warriors performing, Timmy? Do you enjoy? Well, do you think that they maybe have enough to motivate them? Because there's been a lot of discussion around this, and you know when you do become so quite clearly the best team in the league you have to kind of almost manufacture sorry manufacture something that inspires you to go out and win every night so with the inclusion of Boogie do you think they've got that this year? I do think that Boogie helps them in terms of um, being able to stay sort of stay focused and not get sort of bored during the regular season but I actually think that something that could really motivate them has nothing to do with them and obviously we'll talk about a little bit we'll talk a little bit about it later but you know the Lakers and LeBron. It's big news, and it's big news in the West, and it's big news in the Pacific Division. All of a sudden, you have something that attracts attention to this side of um, to the West Coast that isn't the Golden State Warriors, and maybe they might feel like they'll be a little bit threatened, and that could see them sort of ramp it up in certain games in the season against the Lakers, especially who they'll play four times. Seeing LeBron and Co four times a year, I think, would be great for motivation. And I think Cousins, when he does return from injury, will provide that spark plug and something new. You know, this has been the weakness for that team, um, has been their their game inside. And 
you know, the the way in which teams went out to beat them was playing large and having that presence. They were they've been a, so they were an average rebounding team last year. They were second worst in on the offensive glass. So I think that when Cousins comes back into the fray, he'll be able to sort of shore up those issues. But it, but outside of on the court, just the energy that he brings and the way that he plays will definitely help. There'll be different points of motivation for them in the season that I don't think will would won't cause them the same problems that we saw last year. And in terms of, I mean, this is almost an impossible question. So who's going to be brave enough to answer this question? What's <laughs> bad about the Warriors heading into the season? I, I'll, I'm happy to answer this. I've got a whole list, <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is ahead. amazing considering how great they are. I really had to sort of have to look at this. And obviously, the end of last season, um, there were rumours of, of locker room, not dissent, but it wasn't a nice place to be. They came out from David West after they won the finals. Uh, I do think they're going to get more complacent. They were clearly complacent last year. They they dropped uh, nine wins below their lowest win total since Steve Kerr's been in charge. That's a huge regression. Their biggest challenge came uh, from the Rockets, who took them to seven, and was potentially a Chris Paul injury away from knocking them out. Yes, they didn't have Andre Iguodala, but they just, for me, were complacent the whole way through the playoffs. It almost showed them up. And this year, they've got DMC. They've added that. And the, the Rockets, in my opinion, have got worse. Mm. The challenge isn't there. The, the only the way I see it, this team's downfall is going to be their own complacency. They're going to be the team that beat themselves if, if they do end up doing that. Obviously, they are, uh, as, one of, as one of the owners said, they are light years ahead of, of everyone else. Um mm-hmm. I totally get that. And I just think that, you know, this could be the one Achilles heel, if you will, talking about Cousins in in the Warriors. This could be, as Pat Riley said, the disease of me, where the the players just become fat and complacent with their victory. They're thinking about themselves now. You've got a player option for Kevin Durant. You've got DeMarcus Cousins, as we've already said, on the mid-level exception. He's on a one-year deal. He wants to get paid next year. Clay is in the last year of his deal. He's off. He's gone from being the splash brother to just the fourth option on this team. So I think there could be some uh, conflicts of interest within the team. And I think they're going to be complacent from the start as well. Do you think that maybe that kind of um, those kinds of obstacles that you've you've listed, do you think that almost they've been craving to a point that kind of something to overcome over the last few weeks? last few years I know that you said David West came out and shared a lot but almost sometimes you hear about this in hindsight that those challenges are actually what helped this team take it to a new level and maybe actually a bit of um, a bit of turbulence is what they needed as a team Um, Timmy could Boogie be a disruption this year I mean he's had a massively turbulent career so far and with guys like Draymond in the team and a lot of you know um, a lot of egos in that team could, could Boogie actually be a problem almost as much as he is a help to this team? I think there's potential for him to be a problem just because of his past. But I think you even saw when he was in New Orleans and he started to sort of, even though he had issues here and there, it definitely wasn't the same cousins that we saw at Sacramento and all the issues that he had with the various coaches that he clashed with. And I think that just under the umbrella of Golden State, even if there are problems behind the scenes, I think, the fact that he's in this franchise and what they represent and what they're trying to do, plus the fact that he has a lot to prove this year, he's trying to prove to a lot of people 
that he can still come back and be the same cousins that put up 26 and 12 before he got injured. And, you know, like Mike said, there's not a lot of guys that have come back from this injury and been the same. You know, I think the best example that comes to mind is probably Dominique Wilkins. And that was, you know, decades ago. So he's got, he wants that max contract. He wants a big deal and he wants to show that he's still the same guy. So I think that there's a lot that can potentially, there's more that can potentially keep him in check this season. But that being said, like Mike said, there's a lot of egos in this dressing room and complacency is a serious issue. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see him hit out at different points in the season when things aren't going as well as you'd like them to. But he just has so much that he needs to prove for next summer that I think that will ultimately keep him in check. Well, as we said, adding DeMarcus Cousins is huge. And, you know, considering before adding Durant and Cousins, this team broke the record for the most wins in a season. And now on paper, in terms of talent, they might have the best from kind of one to five team of all time once all healthy it's 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 been so for that reason it's very difficult to put a ceiling on the team but vegas have has them da- up at uh, 62 wins i have them down for an ambitious 69 wins so wow um how how good can this team be mike uh their ceiling they're capable of winning 70 again uh if not a little bit more uh, and going unbeaten in the playoffs that that is their ceiling i don't think they'll do it though i have them going under the the over under because I just I just think the the complacency factor is just too great. They're not they, we're going to see them coast. I think at times during the season, I have them uh, a whole ten games less than you at fifty nine. Wow! Wow! I don't even so, have them first in the conference. So there we go. We have it here first. Mike Miller, the blog boy, is going to be the sole inspiration for Kevin Durant's MVP season this year. Yep. Um, to, to caveat that, to caveat that, I do hater. still think they're winning the title. I still think they're winning the title. I just yeah. think they're just going to be. Uh, for want of a better phrase, half hours in it for about seventy percent of the season. What a measure of how great this team is that you think they can they can underperform yeah, exactly. and still kind of walk to the title. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, under sixty nine. Uh, sorry, um, overall under sixty two wins. Timmy, I actually have them slightly under as well. I don't have them at fifty nine. I have them winning sixty two games just because again that complacency factor. And you look at the team last year; complacency kicked in, injuries kicked in they still managed to get 58 wins and now they're a better team. So I think even if they have the same problems that they have last season, ultimately, because they're more talented, it'll be a slight increase. So I think 62 wins, but yeah, the same as Mike in terms of the ceiling. This team can go 16-0 and in the playoffs. I mean, it's it's they are just so talented. And by the time you get to, to April and May, you'd imagine that DeMarcus Cousins would be back healthy, hopefully 100%. And if everyone's clicking and everyone's healthy, I just don't see who can beat who can beat them in, beat them more than once in a series, and potentially who can beat them at all in a series. So yeah, that's the ceiling for me. So say this team does become complacent, and you know they they can't find a reason to strive in the way they have in the past and overachieve. Um, what's their flaw? What's the team's best case? Sorry, worst case scenario, Mike. Uh, so. I think less than 60 wins, which is where I've got them on the over-under, ambling through the playoffs. And uh, I can see, and you'll like this because you're a Celtics fan, I think they'll see the Celtics in the final who are perhaps the best prepared team to play these guys in terms of uh, just physical size, skill sets, things like that. I could see worst case situation if things, and I've got to stress, I do not think this is happening. This is worst case. I still think the Warriors are going to win the title. I could see the Celtics dropping them in six or seven. 
and it would be like a huge, you know, upset this David and Goliath story. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think there is the potential for it. See, I'm a very respectful, not biased journalist, uh, uh, freelance <laughs> journalist, I guess, but I did just do a slight backflip. Um, Timmy, do you agree? Um, agree and disagree. I don't see... I think the only scenario that can stop this team winning the title is injury, catastrophic injury. I think that even if they're complacent and they're stumbling at various points in the um, at various points in the playoffs, I just think that they get to the finals and it's a lock. I, I really do believe that, barring catastrophic injury. In terms of wins in the regular season, yeah, I say worst case scenario, 57, 50, 57 wins was, is a worst case. Um, but I just think that Houston isn't as good as they were last season, as Mike said. And one of the things that, you know, I think the own, the best team in the West equipped to beat them is probably Oklahoma City. And I don't think they'll be able to do it. I look at Boston and I still have fears for them in terms of late in the season situations. We saw how they sort of crumbled a little bit at home in game seven. Would that be the case again if they make it to an NBA finals? Maybe the experience of last year would help them plus the added talent. But I just think that Golden State, they've been there so many times, they know what it takes. So I just think injuries is the only thing that can stop them. But maybe a six or seven game series with the Celtics is a worst case scenario. Well, staying in the northern area of California, for one, from one extreme to another, uh, what about the Sacramento Kings? They finished on a grand total of 27 wins, struggled mightily to put the ball in the basket, finishing dead last in points at, uh, and 26th in three-pointers, despite lots of wing potential. They have a roster full of young, much-touted prospects, and in the off-season they added the second pick with Marvin Bagley the third, and picked up Nemanja Beach. I always get his name wrong, sorry. Vegas has them at 25 wins. I tend to agree. Mike, over or under? Uh, Sacramento Kings. I have them... Ooh, 24 wins. So what was it? How many was the 25. over-under? 25. Oh, I've got the under then. So, yeah, uh, I think they're worse than Vegas does. Hello, Such a pessimist. Well. <laughs> uh, what about you, Timmy? Yeah, it's a case of great minds in this one. I also have them at 24 wins this year. I just think that they're going to have some struggles. There's a lot of young talent, which means potential rookie walls. You look at Bagley... And, you know, the conference, there's some there's some good teams at the top that I think they'll struggle against. 24 for me. And when you think about rookie walls, I mean, this is a team where you really can't afford rookie walls. Uh, and I think maybe, do you think it's a case of rookie walls when you have so much young talent and you kind of rely so heavily on people turning out the way in which their potential suggests? Almost it's a cycle. If 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 they don't perform to the extent that you hope for in the first place. It almost creates a kind of um, culture of losing, almost. And uh, they really can't afford guys like Bagley to underperform, which is a horrible situation for him himself. Um, of course, they made some strong ad- additions, though, including Bagley, and they have a serious amount of untapped potential. Can they produce enough coherent team performances to make noise at all in the division, Mike? I don't think so. I like I like the Marvin Bagley pickup. Um, the ringer called him a slim Zach Randolph, and he gets a <laughs> chance to play with Zach Randolph, um, who I didn't describe his size for fear of him hunting me down. Uh, <laughs> so he can be mentored by a guy who really was the heart and soul of the the Grizzlies' grit and grind era. Uh, he, he could probably help toughen 
Bagley up a bit, who is a bit of a tweener. He's he's sort of a, a four, but a five, but a four. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, I think the bad outweighs the good by a long way. I, I really think the loss of Garrett Temple is is you know, a huge loss for them, and he's extremely underrated. They seem to have an abundance of post players in an era where that's just not necessary. You mentioned how bad they were in you know 29th in offensive rating, 28th in defensive rating, lowest scoring team in the league. And when you're a bad team, you tend to have to push the pace to try and cover for that, which we we see we'll see with the Phoenix Suns. But this is the slowest team in the league as well, and they haven't really done a lot in terms of adding any pace. Uh, I I. The, the highlight for me from this this um, Kings team is knowing that the Golden One Centre is still one of the most technologically advanced arenas in the league, and that's about it. Well, you know what you don't want to do when you need to increase pace? You don't uh, you don't sign someone that's touted as the next Zach Randolph. Um, <laughs> Timmy, um, it's almost as if Sacramento have been showcasing all the ways in which things can go wrong over the last few years. But what are the clearest problems for you that can appear for Dave Yeager's team? Yeah, you know, as Mike said, pace is a real problem for them. It's such a slow team and it really doesn't it really doesn't help them offensively. And, you know, you look at them on both sides of the floor. I mean, they were a middle of the pack in points allowed, but they were bottom five in efficiency. So when you look a little deeper, it shows that actually on both ends, they really, really struggled to get things done. And I just don't see if they've made any improvements there that will pick up where they that will pick up from how they struggled last season. I do think that the one positive for them, I I like Buddy Hield a lot. I think that he has potential to sort of be in that sort of most improved category, just because I think he brings he'll bring a little something to this team. And I was gonna, you know, one thing that I was actually gonna say is, you know, the young guys in Fox and Bogdanovich. You know, I think they they were really impressive last year, only to find out that Bogdanovich has gone down with a repeat knee issue that he picked up, I think, on international duty. So they've got some more problems there before it's even started, and they had enough going in. I agree with Mike that they're just a little bit too big for this league. I think that's a real problem. Um, but we'll, I think we just have to wait and see for this team. I think that they're a bit of they're a way away from being something that we can actually talk about in a positive light. But just that lack of efficiency on both ends of the floor is a real, real something that really st- stuck out to me. Do, do you know what amazes me actually? Just to, to, to piggyback on that is that we took they have got uh, a lot of young guys with high potential kind of players. They're, the average age of the team is twenty five point five, so it's one of the youngest in the league, and they still have the slowest pace. I can't get my head around that. And so, to me, maybe it's a system issue because if you've got young guys, they should be able to get up and down the floor. And the fact they're not, I, it, it makes me think that maybe there's a system issue and they need to perhaps uh, rethink that. Yeah, and and this team for me seems to be one of those teams where a lot of their players, because they have come into a bad team, and some of the players, I mean, if you look at Buddy Heald, he was a uh, you know a college hero who made heroic shots. He played a lot of hero ball in, um, I've just said hero in a lot of variations in, in a couple of <laughs> seconds then. That was impressive. Uh, but no, Heald was obviously incredible during his NCAA run. And if you look at him, almost he's got a bad reputation because he's part of a bad team. Some people seem to think he's a bit of a chucker. And I think that there's there's that kind of, glut where you need that kind of veteran guidance so as you mentioned guys like Randolph hopefully can help people like uh, young guys like Bagley but it's almost like finding a way out of the cycle isn't it Mike? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think Heald came into the league with a lot of pressure on his shoulders that perhaps he wasn't um, prepared for or that it was unfair to place on him. Uh, certainly when he when he was traded to the Kings, I remember Vivek Rondadive saying that he was, the, who's the owner, saying that he was uh, a Steph Curry-esque player which that you know this is not that we're not pa- not that we're past peak Steph Curry but this was like MVP Steph Curry season and to have that put on a guy in a rookie in his rookie year who's coming in and trying to find his feet that's that's a lot of pressure um especially on a team where there's nowhere for him really to hide because they are awful there's no one else there that can take the light away from him not that he's got much of a spotlight because they're the Sacramento Kings yeah, Vivek has always been one of those guys where if someone says something and then they get told it was Vivek who says who said it, everyone's like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he he really gunned for Nick Stauskas in that unbelievable video. So the the ceiling for this team, uh, the best case scenario, Timmy, what is it? I think the best case scenario for this team is thirty wins. Um, I don't think they'll get it, but I think they could be one of those teams that profits when guys start to slack off late in the. Um, late in the year when they've sort of secured playoff spots and they end up resting guys or not playing as hard and you see teams like Sacramento come in and grab like a few late wins and just sort of shoot up their stats it would be like that sort of scenario for me but I think they're really going to struggle this year so no better than 30. And how bad how bad do you think it can get Mike? They're the Sacramento Kings yeah it doesn't get much worse the, the ceiling for me is maybe not have the worst in the record in the league the floor is they are the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Man, that is a bleak, uh, a bleak <laughs> assessment. And if I knew a Sacramento Kings fan, I would kind of console them. D- Danny, Danny Williamson, friend of the pod, okay, uh, well, my is, is a diehard Kings fan and will probably be swearing, although knowingly agreeing with, with our assessments. So did think- anyone did anyone set a timer at the start of this um, Kings section? Because Joe Holbert basically challenged us earlier on. Do- Joe Holbert from DC basically challenged us earlier on that we couldn't speak about the Kings for twelve minutes. Did we achieve that? Do you reckon? I think we were pretty close. Actually. I think we were close. So- I think we were around eleven-ish. I, I I think something like that. We did all right. So uh, we'll, so we'll take the over on that. <laughs> so- <laughs> Sacramento's biggest win of the season already. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Vegas has the Suns, interestingly, at 28.5 wins after winning only 21 in the previous campaign. Uh, during the summer, they've added a big man in DeAndre Ayton and then have got Mikael Bridges, who um, they stole from his hometown, basically, through the draft. And veteran Trevor Ariza, Rashawn Holmes in free agency. They also made an interesting trade, losing faith in uh, Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight, and they traded for Ryan Anderson. They have high-ceiling youngsters in Devin Booker and Josh Jackson. They have a a new head coach. It's all very exciting. Um, It's been a fun-packed summer in Arizona. Over or under on 28.5 wins, Mike? Uh, I have them under by half a game. I have them at 28 wins. So I think they've made steps to imp- well, they've made significant steps to improve this year, but it's a long-term uh, process for them. It is not going to turn them into instant contenders by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, ha- half a game under. What about you, Timmy? I-, I-, I personally have them at 27 wins, so just under. What about you, Timmy? Yeah, I've got them at 30 wins. Um, I think that they'll be just a little bit better than Vegas uh, believes. I just think that they'll find there'll be some point in the year, probably later in the season, where they'll get some things clicking. You know, it always happens with 
it normally happens with top rookies that they're able to sort of find some juice in the season normally rookie walls do tend to come later on but i think they'll get something together which will ring a few wins and they'll push sort of 30 to 31 so i got them at the over what can work well for them do you reckon uh, I just think that I think Ariza is a really nice pickup and a solid cons- mm-hmm. a solid veteran presence. I think this team has been devoid of veterans that can really do can really provide uh, a significant impact and maybe even be on the court. I think that you look at you know obviously Devin Booker and the issues with his hand and whatnot, and it's going to be important for him to sort of with all the issues and the issues of this team sort of him putting up points but they're not getting wins it's really time for him to sort of step it up on that front so I think that Ariza can really help on that from bringing defensive presence to this team I mean they've been such a bad team on that end of the floor they were the worst team defensively last year gave up the most points I still don't think they're going to be very good but it's nice to see them bring in someone that does have some uh, defensive you know he's not defensively inept like the rest of the team uh, I wonder if Ryan Anderson can gain some form back in this team. He, he was a bit of an out, he was a bit of an afterthought for Houston after being such an important player for them. Uh, I think TJ Warren had probably the quietest nineteen and five I've ever seen from <laughs> from anyone. Like it, it almost took me aback that he was able to do that. It, for me, the question of this team is: Can the clear talent that they have and some serious firepower, can it translate to wins? This this team is capable of putting up serious points, in my opinion, at various points in the floor, but they really need to step it up defensively if they're going to be able to translate that into sort of Ws on the board. Yeah, I, I absolutely couldn't believe that um, Ariza was, uh, ended up in Phoenix over the summer. I mean, the, the I know this is, is for a completely different conversation, but the fact that the Rockets let go of basically their defensive identity, uh, part of which was Trevor Ariza, uh, was mind-blowing to me. But and the, kind of the biggest news for you them... You don't think Melo's going to make up for that then? <laughs> well, unless he just kind of uh, has like all of a sudden bionic knees of some sort, then uh, you know I, I don't see it happening. But Having the number one pick in, can often be as terrifying as it is exciting. Uh, you know, hoping that your team makes the right move, it's, it's, it's a terrifying thing. With, especially with Doncic and Bagley still on the board when, when they had their number one pick. Uh, there was much discussion around whether they traded, um, sorry, they drafted for need or whether they drafted for best talent available. Uh, did they take the right guy, Mike? See, I'm a massive Luka Doncic fan, so... Oh, it's it's a tough one. They went with the the home state guy. He obviously played for Arizona in college. Um, he is a potential superstar. Like he is a a guy who could be a modern big in this league. And he his weaknesses are all sort of defensive liabilities, which isn't great if you're on the Phoenix Suns. And barring Ariza, they are you know just a sieve. Um, but Tyson Chandler's there, and as, and as aged as he is, he's a former defensive player of the year. He is a physical presence inside. He is just not um, capable of doing it for prolonged stints anymore. But I think he could do a, a good job mentoring, and maybe sort of, Aiton should make it his his sort of goal this year because he's he's athletically there. Is is to to pick Chandler's brain and and figure out how he can be an impact player on both ends of the floor. Because he could potentially be, you know, excellent on offense and defense. And it's very rare you get that two-way player these days. So I think that for their needs, 
they probably did get the right guy because they they're going to need an inside presence um and they've already you know they, they've given booker the the five-year rookie scale max extension so they've already gone quids in on him as the, as their perimeter player and i think i think that's probably a good move by them to go with with Aiton at number one I, I tend to agree. And, the, you know, Phoenix actually finished last year 12th in rebounds, despite being kind of so um, unsuccessful, you know, in the season. Aiton could help them command the boards, you know, and that helps create further second chance opportunities and almost control the pace of the game. Are there other ways in which you think they they can help them, Timmy? I mean, what what do you see his post game progressing into a point where he can be a real factor for them? Yeah, I mean, he's he's got real skilled game inside him now, and that's that's clearly the way that you know the league is going in terms of sort of the best bigs. They have that outside presence, but they're still able to get it done sort of on the inside at, at times. And you look at sort of what Joel Embiid has, and to a greater extent, what Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have. If you if you want to call Davis a big, which I think we have to at this point, but yeah, I mean, he's got a really skilled offensive game. He's got an NBA body that's ready. He doesn't have to take any time to adjust on that sense. My only real fear that he's just adding more Suns to the Suns, kind of as Mike said, you know, he's he's got some problems defensively and whether he can shore those up. But just that bringing that inside game with the with the wing talent that they have, it could be a real problem for teams stopping them. Um, I, my my only problem for, my only problem is the fact that he can be a little bit of a, a hothead, and you know, you look at the Suns team, discipline was an issue for them. They were high up in fouls, high up in turnovers. So they're not a team that really moves with the best temperance and sort of really takes care of the ball, takes care of themselves, probably because of the fact that they are just young. So again, that kind of plays into this idea of adding more Suns to the Suns. But hopefully if he, you know, becomes what everyone believes that he can be and what the Suns believe he can be, he'll bring some real spark, some real life into this team long term. And and training camp hasn't even started yet, but... This is something you kind of alluded to at the start of the conversation. They've already had some bad news over in Phoenix with Devin Booker's injury. With all the untapped potential, um, what else do you think can go wrong for them to basically underachieve, Mike? <laughs> wow. Um, I, I guess what could go wrong for them is that they are in the Western Conference. They're going to be facing... Uh, just because of scheduling bias, they're going to be facing a lot of tough teams a lot of times. They're going to, uh, who knows, Sacramento Kings could do absolutely the opposite of what we've said, and then that would be a massive problem for Phoenix because that puts them even further down the pile. Um, to be honest, and I'm, I'm not convinced Booker is. Ah, oh, this is this is a controversial take. Um, I'm not convinced he's anything more than a, a good stats bad guy team versus the superstar he's being positioned to be I have no doubt he is very very good but I think playing on the Suns has inflated his his numbers and his worth significantly and it kind of reminds me of 90s Mitch Richmond with his, with the Kings who is who is a Hall of Famer but I'm not convinced he's necessarily a deserved Hall of Famer yeah so it's a really interesting one with him I mean if it gets to a point where almost um, Suns fans feel as though that's unfair that he has been kind of put in a position, a high-pressure situation as expected to be a star, if anyone kind of has that opinion, the person to look to is, the people to look to is the co coaching staff in Phoenix. Because, I mean, 
if you look back, and I know that this kind of gets um, gets spoken about quite a lot, but if you look back at the game against Boston um, a couple of years ago, um, when they did that, he scored that, I can't remember the points total, was it 72? Se- 70, I think. Oh, seven, no. 70 point game. So, obviously incredible. He repressed it because it was the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. the, num- the numbers don't make sense to me. It's all a blur. But um, if, you, if you look at that game and you look at the way they game planned around him, and to me, to, I know that they didn't have partic- much of a chance of winning because Boston were on, on quite a run at that point uh, in, during quite a successful season. Um, but if you look at that, they game planned around this guy in a way that was to the detriment of the team. They didn't win that game. Boston were almost confused as to why they were doing it. They were just basically running up the score for the sake of Devin Booker reaching a certain amount of points. If anything's going to affect a young guy's ego and get him to a point where he's almost improperly rated, that's the kind of thing that will do it. I mean, this is something that's been on Twitter quite a lot recently where people have been debating... um, uh, the the potential and actual proper rating of Booker uh, and Mike's quite clearly let us know how he feels about it. Timmy, what do you think about Devin Booker in terms of his status as a potential star? Yeah, I think I agree. It's important that you can't, you know, sort of piggyback off what you said about the Boston game. It's important to not let a guy at this point really run amok. Um, you look, you think back at, you know, Carmelo's best years, and yeah, he was putting up all these points, but you did have that, you did have a presence in George Carl as a coach who was able to get the best out of him, ultimately getting to, you know, he, he didn't, he hasn't done as well in the playoffs as one would like given his talent, but you fear that sort of, Booker could go down that same path where you look at the numbers and you think, oh man, this guy's a, an all-time great Pantheon great, but then you actually think, well, how does that translate it into his team? Did he always make his teammates better? And if coaches are sort of feeding into that, it's only going to make the situation worse. It's this sort of, you know, he's almost a microcosm of this main problem for the Suns in terms of how can their play translate to wins? It's the same question with Devin Booker. Will his play translate to wins? Sure, he's got the ability to put up, I mean, he could put up potentially 28 points per game this season, you know, pretty easily. But the question is, how will that translate on the field? Because it's not, it's not, it's not always about the box score and it's mainly about wins. And I just don't think that his game always well, clearly we've seen that two plus two is not four in that case when it comes to, you know, his play and wins. So that's the main issue moving forward. Yeah, I, I like that take. He, like I say, he's a very good player. He is a very good scorer. But if the wins aren't coming, what does that mean? He's very young, so we 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 can't rule him out becoming yeah. anything at this point. He's tw- he, he was so he was twenty one or something like that. Yeah, just um, they. One of the things going around. Uh, at the minute was a, a sort of player comparison um, on and on basketball reference. So for single seasons played in the, the NBA in the regular season from 1946 to 2018, age 22 or younger, requiring points per game of 24.5, assists per game of 4.5, and rebounds per game of 4.5. He is in elite company. He sat there with three LeBron James seasons, two T-Mac seasons, one Kobe season, one Jordan season, one Oscar Robertson season. And so let's let's forget the Oscar Robertson season straight off the bat because there were only eight teams in the league at that time. So you, it's just a whole different world. But every other player he's compared to there um, are, are absolute Hall of Famers, absolute locks for being some of the greatest ever. You look at the seasons and 
yes, he, he is there. He, he's averaging the least points out of the group. Um, he's averaging 0.1 of a rebound over one of the group. Or no, it's 0.1 of an assist. And then he's averaging about one and a half rebounds less than the rest of that group. So he, he is not quite at the same level as those guys, even though he is the only guy who's within sniffing distance of them. And then you look at the win totals. And the Booker's team last year got 21. Well, the lowest team... Other than that was MJ's, who got 38 in his rookie season. Everyone else is getting 43, 44, 42, 50, 50, and Kobe 56, but we'll discount that because they had Shaq. <laughs> this, this is, these have got to turn into wins. Otherwise, it is just empty numbers for me. And as, as great as he is at, at, at scoring and his size, Kobe can call him, like whatever he called him in his rookie year, he's like, this guy's legit. Loads of guys are saying how good he is. Great. Turn it into wins for me. Yeah. Okay, and and this has been a really interesting one. I'm just going to go off the back of that because I think that a lot of people have been talking to, about Devin Booker to the point where it needs to be addressed. Uh, but a lot of people say, uh, for me, a lot of people talk about Devin Booker because he's on a bad team. Um, and he's, like I say, he does basically pad the stats to the point where he is almost put in the company of lofty comparisons and it just doesn't make sense. But... He does get the ball a lot because he's got a bad team and he does put up numbers on a bad team. But there is another side to that in the, in the sense that he attracts all of the defensive... He's absorbing all of the defensive pressure. Is that not something to at least account for? Well, yeah, but let's... I, I get that. Let's, let's then flip it. Okay, Devin Booker, comparing with another elite shooting, similar-sized guard. So let's switch him with Clay Thompson. Do you think Clay's getting those same numbers? See, that's exactly what I was about to bring up. Clay Thompson was the person that was on my mind exactly. And for me, it, the crazy thing is, I think Clay Thompson's a better team, a better player. And the, the even crazy, agree. The, and the even craziest thing, the even crazier thing about that is that the team we've already talked about, he is their fourth best player. Mm-hmm. And that that I mean that is crazy. So. If you were to put Clay Thompson into Devin Booker's role and Devin Booker's into Clay Thompson's role, what do you think the outcome is? I, th- I think it almost cancels it, it, itself out, I, and I think what Phoenix would get is a better defensive presence. Although you could argue that Thompson's defensive rating is is overrated. Mm. Um, I, I think shooting wise, Clay Clay wins it for me, despite the fact that that Devin Booker is a, a very very I can't stress enough. We're not. I'm not saying this guy is rubbish and should be binned. I'm just saying he is not the level of player that many people seem to think he is. I th- he's he's more athletic than Clay. He's probably stronger, but um, in terms of well, I say stronger, I don't think he's stronger. Uh, he's probably uh, better on the ball. Obviously, Clay doesn't take a lot of dribbles to get his buckets. Uh, Devon has the ball in his hands a lot more. But I I think they more or less cancel each other out on both. And I just think that. Uh, offensively that is and I think that defensively Booker just doesn't have the same level yeah it's, it's crazy isn't it because whilst Clay Thompson's reputation is elevated by the company he has um, around him it's also kind of decreased by the fact that he doesn't get the usage he could so it could mm. go either way it really could and one thing I would say is that the ability the almost the greatest ability Clay Thompson has in that team is accepting his role as the fourth mm. best player on the team yeah. um, because the only question mark around Devin Booker is, if you did swap those around, would he be that guy? 
who could kind of sacrifice that and the numbers wouldn't be there and would he be kind of a sacrifice guy in a great team um this is essentially a debate that could go on for an entire podcast though um, yeah. so in <laughs> back to the actual we, we just gotta remember he's 21 and he's he's gonna get better yeah, well, yeah. he should get better he so is that he, is scary he is immensely talented basketball player but the discussion is warranted um in terms of his team because there are more players in the team um, in the last few years, they the the floor basically for them has been a dark, deep abyss uh, for Phoenix. Um, they can't Where be no sun can shine. <laughs> exactly, very ironic. It's made a massive shadow over the suns. It's been an eclipse. Uh, they <laughs> they they can't be worse than last year with this bolstered squad, though, can they, Timmy? No, I think I I see them sort of at a best case scenario being the Lakers of last year in the sense of being around that sort of 34-35 win mark and showing potential for improvement. I don't think they'll be able to get 34 wins. I think that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. But there's nothing to say that if things do start to click and start to click early and then they're able to keep themselves in games, that will ultimately be the thing for me. I saw I saw them a lot last year. It was almost like games were over before they started because teams just came out in the gates against them and racked up points. I mean, I remember that game, it was like Lonzo's second game of the season where he put up 29, I think it was 29, 11, and 9. And it was like with all his offensive struggles, he was still able to sort of go out against them. And ultimately, he sort of drove it home in the in the fourth quarter. But you saw teams putting up ridiculous numbers against them early on in games. If they're able to keep it, you know, keep it competitive and ultimately... You know, if Aiton becomes the guy that they think we can be and sort of shows a real spark for this team. And I think that Ariza, again, you know, just bringing someone with some defensive, some serious defensive talent to be the guy that can sort of take main options if need be. There's no reason why they can't start to sort of be on that on that climb that we've seen the Lakers make in the past couple of years. And speaking of... Which, I mean, that's a great segue, Timmy. That was just completely seamless. <laughs> um, I feel like I've almost buried the lead on this one. Um, and I could, even though we're on the audio format, um, it's a it's a podcast, but I could, I could hear Timmy rubbing his hands at the uh, idea of this. The biggest story <laughs> of the summer was the free agency acquisition of LeBron James. After a year-long saga, in, it seems so much longer than a year, in which everyone had decided he would end up in Hollywood. He's now a Los Angeles Laker, uh, another legend to add to their storied history. The Lakers are historically the most successful team in the division, uh, but have fallen behind the Warriors in recent years. Um, can this be the year they re-establish themselves in a place uh, where they, quote-unquote, belong and I'll direct this to the Lakers fan in the pod, Timmy. Uh, what do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, this is going to be the most exciting story of the year. And this team has serious potential to wave it either way. You know, I have to say that as a fan, that I'm so excited for looking ahead for this season. But there's so many potential things that could play out. So many potential storylines that it's just going to be so, so interesting this season you know get, getting LeBron is Rob Palinka said you know last year when they signed you know KCP they said the, the manna fell from heaven you know it's just <laughs> it's it's just a complete turnaround for this for this city and I do believe I think that they can really establish themselves um, or sort of bring themselves back to being a powerhouse in the Pacific when you look at the other teams you know I think that you know the, the we've, we've already spoken about the Suns and the Kings and 
the Clippers have their own things that they need to work out. It's all there for it's all there for the taking, really, for the Lakers to bring themselves back to relevancy, stamp themselves as the team in LA. You know, it's been a long time since we've had bragging rights over the Clippers, and I can't believe I have to say that out loud on a podcast, but <laughs> unfortunately, it's true. Uh, but you know, this is this is the you know this is the time for them to really start and get serious and. It's going to be an interesting season. Obviously, a lot of changes still to happen. This isn't the final product, but it's a step in the right direction, a huge step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, and and when people forecast uh, forecasted LeBron heading to LA, uh, many thought he'd be joining another free agent or, or a traded star, but that didn't happen. They kept their slew of young, high-ceiling guys and they added some veterans that had their stock drop for various reasons but they, you know they can do a job of course it's a lifestyle move for LeBron that's kind of obvious to anyone who will look that look at that but do you think LeBron has joined the best place for his legacy Mike not necessarily his on-court legacy I think his whole whole you know he, he is bigger than basketball he is not it's not just you know the whole shut up and dribble angle he is he is more than a basketball player the, the times where our marquee players in this league can just be basketball players is is gone. They have to be more than that, and he is more than that. And LA's the place to do it. He's got his business there already. He uh, he has a production company. He uh, he's obviously very close um, in the dealings with Clutch Sports, though is legally not an owner because <laughs> uh, that would violate team rules. Uh, incidentally, Clutch have just announced whilst we're on the uh, the pod that uh, Anthony Davis has signed with them. So, um, oh, that could be a yeah. That's, <laughs> that that should get some people a little bit worried. Um, in terms of his outside of basketball legacy, this is this is a great place for him to be, uh, for his brand to be. He is in one of the hot spots, the biggest market in the world. Powering probably New York, I have to say, although New York at the minute is, is terrible. Um, on court wise, no, I don't think it is the best place for his legacy unless he is capable of some kind of miraculous turnaround, uh, in, in which case it would be absolutely the best place. I just don't think right now this is a team that he can drag to the finish line. I think that he he's certainly going to be an improvement for them, and my good things for them has the first four good things I've got for the Lakers are all LeBron. Uh, it's just it's going to be interesting to see what it's going to take to to be a, you know to make this team better than than just sort of mediocre. I mean, I, ha- I have them making the playoffs. I think I have them as high as the sixth seed actually, um, but they need more than what they've got. Absolutely need more than what they've got. Yeah, and I, I can't believe, as a um, fellow Double Clutch contributor, you would just break that news to me about Anthony Davis, um, <laughs> you know, just in, in the middle of a podcast. It's almost a heartless move. Um, when, <laughs> when we talk about the good, um, you said that you had a list there, but heading into the new season uh, with someone that's in the GOAT conversation is about as significant as it comes. You said that it was the, the first four on your list. What else will work in their favour? So I tried to keep it to five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, this is this. I think this is something that's not going to be picked up by a lot of people. Um, I've never been a big Lonzo fan, and that's that is my bias because I don't like his dad, and that's not fair on Lonzo. But what I'm seeing is that Lonzo has there's been little noise from him this summer, apart from his diss track of Kuzma, which was interesting. Um, 
there's not been a lot of noise from him or his dad in in Lakerland. And what he's done is he's gone away and w- reworked that god awful jump shot uh, that he had last year. And in fact, you know, I remember uh, a story about when he was in college at UCLA and they tried to rework his jump shot, and and Lavar wasn't having any of it. So it seems that he's taking ownership of his own career and his own progression and development. And I I think that is a huge statement for for this franchise because he what was he number two pick last year he was the guy they put their their chips down for um love the fact that he has 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 done that because he's going to get a lot more open looks this year with lebron uh just wreaking havoc and it just shows uh, another level of commitment that that i really like so i'm taking it's a hat tip to lonzo for me. Yeah, and and Lonzo Lonzo was an unbelievably underrated defender last year. He's really great off the ball. He almost is the antithesis of what you'd expect him to be, considering uh, his dad that you mentioned and and the kind of furore that surrounded him. He's he's actually a really gritty basketball player who works really hard off ball, and he's a really good defender. Um, Hopefully he becomes a better shooter for the Lakers' sake. And I actually think that he's going to work really well with LeBron. With LeBron. I think LeBron will really kind of help him make him um, who he was touted to be in the first place. I think Brandon Ingram has all, all, almost got to a point where he's underrated because originally people thought he was overrated. Um, he's going to develop into something really good. They lost Julius Randle, um, who I thought was excellent last year in patches. And I have friends who, you know, who are Lakers fans, and they basically, you know, you <laughs> that know. sounded like a hard thing for you to say. <laughs> it was like when someone who's a very kind of uh, hard left wing leaning person admits that they have um, Tory friends. Um, they, <laughs> they, 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 so they lost Randall, as I said, but some people are really happy that they basically have kept the young core that they had in the first place um, instead of almost putting all their chips on the table in, for the sake of getting Paul George, who everyone thought wouldn't accept anything but ending up in LA. So I think that it's great that they kept the young core around him, but I tend to agree with most of, of, of what you said. Um, Timmy, what else can kind of um, work for them beyond the... the, um, the the signing of LeBron, essentially. Yeah, I just think that, you know, there's questions about bringing in, obviously, the other guys they brought in, and Lance Stevenson and Beasley and Rondo. And Magic, you know, he came out and said what he wanted to get. You know, he said in these guys that we brought in, we wanted toughness, we wanted, you know, grit, and we wanted playmakers. And I just think it's going to be very interesting to see this sort of a new type of LeBron team that we've never seen before, where you're going to have so many guys that can go out and create for themselves. You know, like to piggyback what you guys said, I'm so happy that they kept, you know, the young core, you know, even earlier when we were talking about Paul George and later in, you know, July when we when there were sort of, you know, reports of potentially Kawhi going, I mean, Kawhi coming and what they were asking for, you know, it was just a ridiculous sum. And for obvious reasons, they didn't want him to go to LA, but it's important to keep that group. I think Kuzma is heavily underrated in the sense that, I mean he wasn't even on Sports Illustrated Tops 100 if I, if I recall correctly and we saw that whole saga about him being mad about his 2k rating but hey I mean it's all it's all under the same umbrella I mean this guy was a real a r- real serious talent for us last season I watched you know a lot of games and there was a period sort of end of the year sort of end of 2017 going into 2018 and he was absolutely lighting it up 
Um, but a lot of those games, didn't, some of those games didn't translate to wins because you saw the inexperience of the team come out in the fourth quarter. But when you looked at what he was doing, it was absolutely sensational. Brandon Ingram, he, the only reason he can't play one through five for me at the moment is the fact that he's too small to play five. But I believe he has the ability to play one through four. I mean, when Lonzo went down injured, he was excellent at the point guard position. Uh, he has some serious talent there and he's just going to continue to grow. And, you know, there's, they're calling for him now to be that second guy and I think he'll take the challenge. And, you know, I don't want to talk too much about Obviously, this question was talking more about outside of LeBron, but I want to see what LeBron's effect will have on these guys in terms of training and mentality. I think that it will have a real rub-off effect on the young guys and the vets. I think bringing Rondo in, he can be volatile in, in a bad sense, but you just look at his intellect, his IQ, and what he's going to be able to do for this team. And sort of, He was so important for New Orleans last season, and I think that he is potentially the worst person to have next to Lonzo but I think he'll be one of the best because he just you know you look at Lonzo he can be that guy but better for me he can be a better version of Rondo but who better to learn about how Rondo does things than from Rondo himself um, so that's going to be a very I think this team just has so many guys that are that really want it and are really hungry and um, they're just and can all get it for themselves but at the same time are going to buy in to what um, this team, to what they're trying to do, um, it, you know the Anthony Davis, uh, the Anthony Davis uh, announcement is interesting, and I'm wary that this team may not be the same now as we speak. That it could be in January or February, but um, th I just think that you know they've brought in some real solid guys here who aren't who aren't here to mess about, and we're gonna have a real serious team this year, a real team team. And you mentioned. Uh... The comparison there, if he if he could possibly get to a version of Rondo, if he could get to a peak Rondo, that yeah, would be almost Rondo. a best Playoff case. Rondo. That would be a a best case scenario for the Lakers, yeah. especially alongside LeBron, um, as long as he doesn't kind of um, pad stats to the point where he's giving yeah. up layups to. Back <laughs> um, but they they added a lot of characters, as you mentioned, with a turbulent history in the league. Um, Lance being one of them, Rondo being one of them. Is 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 chemistry possibly an issue, Mike? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting egos and, and voices in that, that locker room this year. Um, and I wonder how much of a circus it's going to become. Uh, and every circus needs a Lance and JaVale. Um, <laughs> but the, they are going to be under a magnifying glass because they're already in LA. They've got LeBron as well. They kind of can't afford to, to step out of line. They can't afford to pull... Uh, have funny business, we'll call it. Um I do love the Rondo pickup from a mentorship point of view. As much as as you can sort of rag on Rondo for for his uh, ability to disappear on the offensive ends unless he's making a pass is the politest way I can put it. Um, he is a massively underrated mentor. I remember a story from when he was with the Bulls where he just got there and he was sort of in the locker room and he was like, "Oh, where where are we all going for dinner tonight?" Because uh, and Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade were heading out to dinner together. And the rookies were like, well, no, we're, it's just them that go and no one else gets to go. And so Rondo was like, oh, wait a sec, this is this is, this is is BS. And and he ends up getting all the rookies around his house and getting takeout for them all and really sort of just trying to get them in and build a, a team culture and a chemistry. And I think that side of Rondo doesn't get seen enough. Mm. And if he's going to do that in LA, that's going to that's gonna be ideal for this team. As much as it's not going to make an impact, and I've got to go back to because you mentioned Randall, as much as it's not going to make an impact in the win-loss column because obviously they've gone and got LeBron, 
I am disappointed they couldn't hold on to him. I thought he was a guy who could really add some value to this team. Yeah, Randall Randall was um he really had patches where he almost looked like he was exceeding his expectations, his career expectations, because into he just became kind of much more intense. He'd become really svelte, he'd really improved his body, um, to a point where he was athletically worlds above what people started to expect from him. Um but Timmy, uh, Vegas has them at forty eight point five wins. Um I have them at 48 on the dot. Over or under? I got them over. Uh, call me optimistic, but I've got them at 50 wins. Uh, I just think that, you know, they got, obviously they got LeBron and they'll find, there'll be a time in the season that they really get things going. I think it's it's going to take some time. You know, LeBron James teams, there's always a growing period. I remember that Miami team in 2010, they came out, I think, 8-9. and nine in their first 17 games. So there's definitely going to be a period where they have to work it all out with so many new pieces. But once they get the ball rolling, they'll 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 find their way even in this tough Western Conference to 50. Are you drawing comparisons between the Miami Heat? No, I'm drawing I'm drawing comparisons. <laughs> no, no, <I'm> <laughs> it's just the fact that Cleveland I mean, LeBron teams take time. You know, even Cleveland they had some issues out of the gate. It's gone. <laughs> I mean that Miami know, team though. You, you think about it. <laughs> you do think about it though. They had some problems with 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 depth. I mean, yeah, they to- they totally did. I was, I'm just I'm just winding you up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean the the the, the most interesting to thing to think about that is how much the monopoly of Warriors has taken over this league to the point where when Miami did kind of form their big three, the team that beat them in the finals was a Dirk-led Mavericks. And if you look back and compare that to the obstacle that this Lakers team actually has, even though, as Mike uh, kindly pointed out, they are not at the same level. Um, the team that they have to, the quality they have to overcome at this point is just kind of worlds ahead, um, and it's uh, it's amazing to see how the league has developed in that sense. Um, but what's their ceiling, Mike? Uh, ceiling, I think they could push for home court advantage. I think they could potentially be a four seed, and if they do that, then LeBron is absolutely a lock for MVP. I don't think they're going to do that. The over under you had them at was it forty eight point five? Uh, yeah, I've got them at forty nine and finishing in the sixth seed. Very interesting. And what? In, when we look at the flaws, um, should should things not go to plan? You know how 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 badly could they they do? Missing out on playoffs is that possible? I've I've got them. If if their floor is they miss the playoffs, and then that's when we get to really see how LeBron handles uh, shortcomings. We'll call it rather than failures. Because uh, he's only missed the playoffs once, I think, his rookie year when they finished in the ninth seed. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. There is they, Timmy's right; they're going to take time to gel. I don't see this being the same roster as it's going to be next uh, April when the playoffs start. But if things don't go to plan, we could get a lot of LeBron sulk stories. We could get two weeks off in January again, where he goes GM mode. Yeah. And last question about the Lakers, uh, just because Timmy's got the chance to speak about them. Um, in terms of where LeBron fits in Laker kingdom, because one interesting caveat to the signing and actually the inclusion of his in, in Lakers folklore is that he's going to be the greatest basketball player that's played for the Los Angeles Lakers. But will he even be top three or even top five Lakers I think that 
I mean, if he's if he's got he's obviously got four years, and we don't know what's going to happen in terms of who comes next summer. If he wins one title here, he has a he has the potential to get himself maybe in that. I would say top five at best. He can't he can't crack the top three purely for longevity reasons. I don't think he can eclipse what Magic or Kareem or um, Kobe Bryant has achieved. And even though guys like you know Elgin Baylor and Jerry West had longevity, it didn't translate to championships. So that's the only that's the only thing that you could think about in terms of them being you so pe- people looking to LeBron over those guys. Even though I believe as Lakers they will stand better because of the fact that they spent such a long time and they sort of etched in the franchise that that stands today. Um, he it's a bit crazy for me when I, I I mean I wouldn't have gone as far as dirtying up graffiti walls like some fans did in the summer, but it is a bit crazy that some people think that he can be the greatest Laker because. He's just not going to be here long enough, you know. No one ever considers Wilt. You know, you never talk about Wilt Chamberlain as a great Laker simply because of the fact that he didn't do, he wasn't in there long enough despite winning a championship. And I think that's the set going to be the same case for LeBron. You know, he has, you know, and if he doesn't win one, then I don't think he'll even really make the question. I think that he has to win in in LA for him to be etched because he doesn't have the time to be someone like an Elgin Baylor who played for such a long time and was such a great play- player but didn't win but was the longevity gives him his status LeBron doesn't have that and so because of that it's all really based on rings for me you know and I think the Laker fans feel the same that's what we're all about I think yeah ultimately I think legacy is is part success and part service to the organization I mean if you look at like a direct uh, cross sport comparison if you look at someone like um the very uh, contentious figure of Luis Suarez. Um, he, he arguably is the best player that's ever played for Liverpool Football Club, um, but he's, not, he's kind of not going to eventually be remembered as a great Liverpool legend or whatever. So it's, it's a really interesting conversation, but we'll see what he can fit into his um, it, it, the remaining time he's got left in his career, unless he ends up returning home in another romantic return that definitely <laughs> that definitely had nothing to do with the best possible basket, basketball situation going back to Cleveland. But moving on across town, well, no, it's not moving across town because it's in the same arena. Another team that were in the slight... <laughs> sli- another, going through those secret tunnels yeah. under, that Chris <laughs> Paul knows all about. Going through the secret <laughs> fighting tunnel. Um, that you know, a team that were in slight contention for free agents and continue to be linked to potential trades of the Lakers' neighbours, the LA Clippers. Last year, they won 42 games, missing out on the playoffs by two spots. They traded up in the draft to pick uh, to pick up uh, Gildas Alexander. They picked up Avery Bradley as well, Luke and Baramute. Uh, they lost DeAndre Jordan in free agency in an attempt to make up for that they then went ahead and got rid of Austin Rivers for Martin Gortat, which underwhelmed a few Clippers fans. Um, did they get worse, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think they could be a really fun team, but they have gone from having two franchise players to none in in 12 months. Chris Paul went last summer, Blake during the season. Uh, and I get that that's part and parcel of, the, part and parcel of a rebuild, but it's probably going to get significantly worse before it gets better uh the good thing for me is that they've got jerry west on board he doesn't tolerate losing and it's uh and he's notorious for creating winning rosters this could be like i say it could be a really fun team they've got a lot of talented and helpfully tradable assets 
Uh, they could be a, a sort of good, scrappy team capable of upsetting big, big opponents, but not sustaining con- continued winning. If that makes sense, um, they've got a lot of fun guys there, and they've got actually an underrated uh, defensive presence. And and just in case any major news comes up within the next few days, um, and Clippers trade for a certain divisive um, star player. Uh, that runs with <laughs> Bimmy Jutler. Um, he, he, um, I think that what's going to work for LA Clippers is Jimmy Butler's going to play fantastically. Um, but, Timmy, uh, what's <laughs> going to work well for the Clippers? Yeah, I think, like Mike said, they're a fun team. And they were, you know, they were top 10 offensively last year. And I think they'll be able to really put points on the board this year. I, You know, the return of Patrick Beverly is going to be huge for them. You know, he missed, yeah. I think he only played 11 games, you know, last season. And he's such a big presence on defense. He's such a big presence from his character. You know, you saw him in that first game, Lakers, um, Lonzo's debut, I can't forget just how much he was sort of goading him and sort of giving it to him, given the fact that LeVar spoke out against him. He just has that sort of dog in him. And he was... He's done it for Houston. He didn't get the chance to really do it for the Clippers last year. So he's going to be huge for them. Um, you know, Mbar Mute, it's good to see him back in a... Well, it's not good to see him back in a Clipper jersey, but it's, it's nice for them to, <laughs> to have him back in a Clipper jersey. I think that he was a really, really important player for that Houston team last year and ultimately didn't get the chance to be as effective in the playoffs because of his shoulder injury. But, you know, if he's all 100% now, then that will help bring some that will help bring some steel to a defense that wasn't great last year. Now they've lost, you know, they've lost DeAndre Jordan who had some abilities as a rim protector. So, you know, it's, um, I think that those two players will bring a real spark into the team sort of defensively and will add to the already sort of exciting offense that we saw last season. You mentioned Beverly and uh, Mbamute there. Mm. Throw in Avery Bradley as well. Yeah, and where would, where does that rank in terms of the top perimeter defenses in the league? That's got to be like top three or four. It's definitely it up be. there. And then and then the prospect. I mean, I, I I would be very surprised if the Toronto Raptors didn't find a way to convince Kawhi to stay because I think that they've got too good a team. And actually, they've got. A, you know, I know that you guys covered this, but um, they've actually got. A, plenty of people who can almost help Kawhi on the wing in a similar fashion but should the Clippers basically make themselves a good suitor to pick up Kawhi Leonard and should they put together a trade package that will get Jimmy Butler and that is almost the most terrifying defensive identity on the wing I've seen in a long time yeah they're, they're on their way, definitely. I think that it's hard to say this, but they are, you know, Jerry West being in the franchise, they've really turned things around. And moving on from Lob City and also getting Doc Rivers out of the GM office. That's so, I mean, these GM coaches, it just seems to be such a bad plague. <laughs> it just doesn't seem, I mean, we've, I think I've seen enough evidence to, um, to suggest that, you know, if, if Luke... <laughs> if uh, Luke Walton ever decides to try and take a crack upstairs, I'll, I'll be the first one there with a pan to the head because it just seems, <laughs> it just seems to be such a bad construct. And you know, getting him, I think so. Getting Doc, you know, back just simply on the sidelines, doing what he does best, is going to be so important to this team. But I, I almost feel as though if the concept of a minute silence worked well on a podcast and didn't just complete, completely destroy <laughs> the feel. I would say that almost we should have one um, for the complete end 
of Lob City now that DeAndre, the final factor, <laughs> has departed. It's a, it's a real sad moment for the franchise. Um, but the ceiling for this team, I, I have them at 31 wins, so it's a significant drop from last year. Uh, Vegas has them at uh, 35.5. What's the best case scenario for the Clippers, Mike? Best case, they could push for an eight seed, but I very much doubt that. Um, I have them at 32, so uh, that is, well, three and a half games under. I I just can't see them being consistent enough. Like I say, they're probably going to be a league pass team for me because you've got guys like Tia Dosic on the floor who went... This is the thing as well. Like They've got exciting players, but some of those guys like Tiodosic and Gallinari are so injury-prone. If you could get them healthy, then this team's going to easily get five, six more wins, probably more than that. But there's just too many inconsistencies for me. And with Tiodosic, you get to kind of watch two sports in one because he's got, offensively, he's a fantastically exciting basketball player. And then on the defensive end, it's like um, he's got that matador defence to entertain people, <laughs> entertain the masses with. Um any a chance of a playoff appearance at all, Timmy? And what do you have in terms of the over-under? Yeah, I don't see them getting to the playoffs. I think this team wins 36, so I have them just over. But that's not going to be enough to get to the playoffs in this conference. I don't think it'll be anywhere near. I, I see them being sort of in that sort of mid-category of the guys that aren't in the playoffs. But they can push and be competitive, but I think they'll ultimately ta- tail off. Similar to last season, if it becomes a question where you've got a few teams vying for those lower seeds, ultimately I do think they'll tail off. I think it's a good point, Mike, about their their injury issues. It's just something that is so unpredictable. And, you you know, even with Patrick Beverly, how is he going to return? How is he going to be? Um, so we have to wait and see. I, I think another problem that could potentially crop up for this team is the division. You know, they were... F- they were 12 and 4 in the division last year and 30 and 36 in their other games so clearly being in the pacific worked to their advantage last year and i don't think that's going to be the case so i could see them dropping off a bit in terms of games in that sense so just over but not in the playoff hunt uh, we had a question on the Clippers. Uh, which of the two LA teams are most likely to fire their coach this year? For me, this is a pretty tough one because the idea uh, that this might happen to Doc Rivers has been floating around for years uh, just because of underachievement, really. But uh, then Luke Walton seems to have a load of support from the Lakers who see him as someone who represents their values. He's part of the family of the organization. Uh, but let's just say LeBron's coaches haven't exactly enjoy, enjoyed a great deal of job and job security in history um but what do you guys think to that i thought lebron was lebron's coach yeah well he's not getting <laughs> sacked so which one's the more likely guy to no. get sacked no i mean <laughs> yeah i think yes yeah, it's, it's definitely doc for me because she has the time that he's been given and you know we've seen now this is sort of he's been through an era of this team that didn't achieve what they were supposed to you could call Chris Paul injuries a factor you could call blowing a 3-1 lead a factor but they just didn't do what they needed to do um, and then you know you look at Luke Walton he hasn't this is the first year that you've given him the formidable talent to compete uh, like you said I think he's very protected by the by the franchise and they want him here long term so I think he'll get the time even if things get troublesome for the purple and gold but I think Doc's one of those coaches that could see himself on the hot seat uh, I mean, I mean, he did have that stint um, coaching the Golden State Warriors, but definitely in terms yeah. of a full year, he's it's his his best chance to succeed. Mike, what do you think? He's most likely to go. Uh, I I agree. It's Doc. 
this is a rebuilding team. Rebuilding teams don't tend to stick around with uh, the same coach for too long. Uh, they, they've removed him from his GM duties already, so they're, they're starting to look in another direction. He didn't want to be part of a rebuild in Boston. For me, there's a lot of personalities there. I think things are going to become particularly contentious once the, the losses start mounting up. Whereas in LA, Luke came, as you said, from the Warriors. He has that. Everyone wants a bit of the Warriors now. They need something, some inside knowledge, some some, some part of their culture to try and cultivate in their own locker room. I think he still brings that. It's going to be interesting, the fact that he's the same age as LeBron. Um, so, but, yeah... Yeah, I think they're the same. The same draft, same, same draft. age, or same draft. Same year. draft, I think. Yeah, same draft. Which is, oh, it's, it's just insane. insane oh yeah, so he's so he's older then because he had three or four years at Arizona. Mm. Um, was it Arizona? It's too too long ago for me to remember. Whereas obviously LeBron came straight in from high school, so not the same age, same same draft class. Which is just, I wonder how many times that's happened in the history. But yeah, I think I think the leash for Luke Walton is significantly longer. You know what's fu- what's funny to me is that uh, you you mentioned about Doc Rivers not wanting to be a part of the Boston's um, rebuild, and obviously that worked out pretty well for Boston. Um, but the, <laughs> I, I, I specifically remember reading a piece that was talking about Doc Rivers doesn't want to be part of a team where Avery Bradley is one of the key offensive options, um, and it's, it's <laughs> life life comes at you pretty fast, doesn't it? Um, uh, just just to just to kind of we're we're drawn towards the end here, but um, Skybet have released their odds for the title uh, this uh, sorry for the um, division uh, this year uh, this season and I've got the odds for the division here it's um, of Golden State Warriors were, are given a 1 to 50 chance uh, they've got, uh, got the Los Angeles Lakers at 14 to 1 the Clippers at 66 to 1 the Suns at 80 to 1 and uh, the Sacramento Kings at 125 to 1 does that seem to paint an accurate and fair picture to you guys yeah yeah, I'm surprised actually the Lakers and Clippers odds are as good as they are. I would have thought <laughs> 1 to 50 is just insane. I I think it would take some kind of uh, bout of terrible disease to, to, to take this title away from the Warriors this year. Yeah, and I, I can't believe all of a sudden you're calling the Boston Celtics a bout of terrible disease. So uh, they're not going to affect the Pacific Division, are no. they? I'm, just, I'm, I'm calling it okay. Let, title was the wrong word. Not talking about the NBA title. I'm talking about the Pacific Division title, which of course really isn't all that to shout about. Yeah, I've uh, I got carried away there. But um, to to any <laughs> to any new listeners here um, who kind of uh, just kind of dipping their toes into the NBA um, content. The, the 125 to 1 on Sacramento Kings don't rush to your bookies just 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 uh, <laughs> maybe don't run down to put any money on that it's, it's still yeah, not it's there. definitely not a case of Leicester that does not happen in the NBA no no that's a once in a lifetime situation so that's all i really have uh, have for today's episode guys uh, do you have anything else to add no i think we've we've covered it all and i yeah. I simply cannot thank you guys enough for joining us on the Double Clutch podcast. If you don't already follow us on Twitter, our handle is at Double Clutch UK, and you should definitely do that. Uh, we're working on an exciting project at the moment uh, that Mike alluded to, which is the MBA preview. We're basically doing a guide heading into the season, so look out for that. Um, head over to doubleclutch.uk to check out various articles we've uploaded recently. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, subscribe and rate us because that always helps as we try and grow as a podcast. Mike, thank you very much for joining. 
No worries, you're welcome. And Timmy, it's been a pleasure. Great, great uh, sophomore game. Thanks, it's been fun. And from me, farewell.